third string catcher, first string spy. We are the Spy Fi Guys, and this is The Catcher Was a Spy. Welcome to the Spy Fi Guys, where we cover spy fact, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And today we're talking about The Catcher Was a Spy, starring Paul Rudd. So what did you know about Moberg before you watched this? Well, I had read the book Spying on the Bomb, mm-hmm. which we talked about in an earlier episode, but I don't remember which one. <laughs> I think it was Fleming, maybe. Probably. So they did mention this story, and I will talk about which parts were accurate later. All right. So I knew that Moberg was a catcher-turned-spy, and that's about it. Okay, so I knew pretty much about that much, too. There is an exhibit on him in the Spy Museum, a small display about him, and also at one of their events... One of the things the cool cool things the spy museum loves to do is they hire these actors to portray notable spies in history. So you have people dressed as Mata Hari or Mo Berg or George Washington. At different parties, they might go and mingle with them. And so they really know their backstories and they will talk about their histories. So I've met Mo Berg in a way. Did you ask him if he was gay? I did not. And that's because I didn't know about that. that Did you ask him any personal information? (laughs) Mm, No. (laughs) Because I don't think the actor would know it, because apparently nobody knows it. <laughs> well, I was looking forward to this movie because I like Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd's my mom's favorite actor. <laughs> and it's nice seeing another Jewish person as a character. Hmm, who's main not character from Mossad. Who's not from Israel, right. But what do you remember of the actor who played Moberg talking to him at the Spy Museum? Um, Not much, honestly, sadly enough. I, well, okay. I remember learning that he was a spy. Then I was like, I had, well, first of all, I did not know who Moberg was as a baseball player. I'm not really up on baseball in terms of any, besides, yeah, your notables, like your Bates and your uh, Jackie Robinsons. But mm-hmm. other than that, I wouldn't necessarily know anyone from that era. Yeah, that's true. Like the early pre-war baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, shall we get into it? Sure. All right, so here is the synopsis from IMDb. A former Major League Baseball player, Mo Berg, goes undercover in World War II Europe for the Office of Strategic Services. Yep, that's about it. Yeah. So the movie begins with independent film channel. (laughs) So you get your expectations ready. Uh, (laughs) Really? Does IFC have that kind of reputation? I didn't actually know that. Independent films certainly have a sort of reputation. Well, yeah, but I feel like... I've heard of IFC. I didn't just I didn't know what necessarily it stood for. So I'm like, that's got to be somewhat more notable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it stands for Independent Film Channel. Though, of course, Independent is on a spectrum. Like this is Paul <laughs> Rudd in it, and a bunch of other famous. A actors. lot of like I kept going through this movie like, hey, that's that guy. Mm-hmm. Totally. All right, so it starts with a nice. A very long opening credit. I want to call it a scroll because of Star Wars. It's not really a scroll. It's a... Is there a name for that? An I guess like opening text? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. And it talks about in 1938, German scientists split the atom first time and the nuclear age was born. The Nazis gave the task of building the atomic bomb to Nobel Prize winning Cerner, Werner Heisenberg. The Germans won Heisenberg to build them an atomic bomb and the OSS sends a Jewish catcher named Moberg to stop them. But it's not exactly accurate. It's not like they just found a Jewish baseball player. It's not like Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> baseball players in in Inglorious Bastards. They were just Jewish soldiers. Who happened to use baseball bats, right? Yeah, and the bear Jew. 
Did you know that the bear Jew was originally supposed to be played by Adam Sandler? I did know that. Just, I'm just imagining him doing his voice. His I don't. I can't even try attempt impression coming mm-hmm. out of the like the tunnel scene where he's coming out with the baseball bat. I'm like, I can't see it. I would just be laughing too much. Anyway, yeah, there's a YouTube video where someone does that. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, I, see if you can find it. I gotta watch that later. Anyways, back to the movie. Moberg's job is to assassinate Heisenberg, according to the opening text. Mm-hmm. And it's based on a true story. Everything mm-hmm. is as it should be. <laughs> Wait. Okay, refresh my memory. What's the one you don't like? It's the inspired, inspired by... by a true story, uh, yes. Okay. Anyway, so we start off with two men walking down a street. It's a cobblestone street, so immediately my mind thinks, oh, it's generic European city. So probably mm-hmm. filmed in Prague. Looked it up. Yep, filmed in Prague. Oh, really? That's yeah. funny. <laughs> it's Zurich. It's 1944. Did we see that on screen that it's Zurich yes. before? I completely yes. missed that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's Paul Rudd and mm-hmm. his, his contact, who is not a famous actor. Mm-hmm. He explains that it's his first job, the first time he'll have to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. And his friend says, just do it before the Gestapo figures it out, which is mm-hmm. very helpful advice. <laughs> I feel like that's helpful advice in any situation. Mm-hmm. No matter what you're doing. His contact asked if he ever killed a man or this is his first job. Mm-hmm. And Moberg's like, no, I've never killed a man. It's not as hard as you think. Moberg says, it depends on the man. Which man? The target or the man doing it? Both. If it weren't said by two different people, it'd be a good quote. Yeah, it's a little much. <laughs> I, I, like, I mean, so this sort of thing reminded me of like the beginning of Casino Royale in a way. Yeah, you like to uh, make that comparison. But the, you mean the black and white scene where yeah, that one. Playing the guy? Yeah, and then he's sitting in this... up. Really? I don't actually remember. I think we've talked about it before on the oh, podcast. Okay. Yeah. Probably. But I mean, it, it, it's talking about, you know, first kills and that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. and then we go to Moberg Mo- entering a restaurant and he spots a man who, and I'm trying to remember at this point, in this point in the movie, is it, do we see Heisenberg or do we see the other guy? Uh, what's his name? Scherer? It is Heisenberg. Okay. And I know because I wrote Mark Strong in the notes. Uh, I didn't catch that. Well, I didn't think it didn't look like Mark Strong at first to me. It actually looked like who the, who's the guy who played the bad guy in the Watchmen movie? Oh, the actor who plays Ozymandias in the yeah. Watchmen movie? He's yeah. a somewhat famous name, but I don't remember his name. Uh, well, I thought it was him because it looked like him because he looks like that in the Intimidation game and also in uh, the Downton Abbey movie. The Intimidation Game or the Imitation Game? Imitation Game, thank you. Intimidation oh, okay. Game is... Uh, the, <laughs> that was like, it sounds like an Asylum horror movie. Kind of. Uh, it was the working title for Batman Begins. Oh, okay. Maybe you're just not used to seeing Mark Strong with hair. That's what I was going with. Is like I did not realize it because I've never seen him with hair. He's always bald in movies I've seen. Except, Except for when he was Sinestro. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then that's he just looks like Sinestro. Mm-hmm. He didn't have that sort of floppy, like it looked like a bad wig. Yup. Everything about that movie was bad, of course. No, I meant this movie. Oh, the, oh, the, the hair here? Yeah. Oh, I didn't really notice, but okay. okay. Anyways, so we cut back to playing baseball, and this reminded me of, well, it reminded me of, what's that movie? I am not on my A game this week in terms of Man, Man of Steel? Man of Steel, where they play baseball? No, I was going to go with. I was going to go with either 42 or um, A League of Their Own. Oh, I also meant Superman Returns. I guess I'm oh. off my A game, too. 
not just a baseball. It's Fenway Park in Boston. Uh, <laughs> uh, I see our record for terrible accents continues. Which, if I followed baseball, they would be my team since I'm in between New York and Boston, and um, I hate New York teams. <laughs> but I don't care about baseball. Come on. You got to support our local area team, Nets. Yeah, I'm warming up to them. But you got to remember where you come from. Yeah, well, Hawaii has no sports te- um, professional sports team, so I just sort of latch onto where I am. There's no surfing team? Not a team, per se. It's like all individual-based. Oh, okay. Well, there ought to be. <laughs> so Moberg is playing, and he like has this interaction with the pitcher. And at one point, he gets is like a double play or something. He does this really good play. Mm-hmm. They ask him how he knew what the batter was going to do. He says, I just knew uh. Star Wars. <laughs> so he goes in to see the coach, and the coach wants him, is saying, you know, you've had 15 years in the league. When are you going to hang it up? When are you going to come and coach? Yep. And he's like, mm, I'm going to keep playing until I can't play anymore, basically. That's right. And he asks him about this Japan thing, which is apparently this sort of, it's some kind of like publicity goodwill tour with all these yeah. all-star players. Which is Including... weird because Berg is not an all-star. <laughs> true, true. Well, maybe it's he played with all, all of those. Because it's also like all-star players, but it's probably after their primes. Probably, yes. I can see yeah. that. It's to Japan. They want to know if he speaks Japanese because he speaks a many languages. languages. Yeah. He's a polyglot. He says no. And then meanwhile, there's another player named Dalton who's like, what's the deal with this guy? Talking about mm-hmm. Berg. Yeah, Dalton thinks that Berg is gay. Yeah, I don't know what more, more to say. He's a that. queer, as they say in yeah. Boston. Sorry. <laughs> That's what they say in the movie, so mm-hmm. they're used to it. There's like a, a little bit of an action scene here where Berg is in a taxi. The mm-hmm. guy recognizes him and he like doesn't want to deal with it. Yeah. So he jumps out of the taxi, starts walking. Dalton follows him. They're both dressed like spies, like the, like the cartoon character of a spy. With the or they're just the dressed pie. like people in 1930s, 1940s. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone in the 1940s was dressed like a spy. That must have been where I came from. <laughs> so Berg lies in wait in an alley and then beats up Dalton when he, Dalton comes after him. Mm-hmm. And there's not really too much more to say about that. Dalton I mean, wants to know what the deal with him is, and he, Berg is like, mind your own business. Yeah. And as this is happening, we have a woman setting dinner for two, and she's playing the piano, and Berg comes in mm-hmm. and says that he's late. And as she keeps playing, and he kisses her, and then they go at it. I was not expecting like that sort of love scene in this. I guess it answers the question of whether or not he's gay, or does it? No, it does not. I mean, there are it, there is a spectrum. That's true. So <laughs> it could be one of many, you know, many. Yeah. Parts so of that us uninformed viewers are like, well, is she his wife? Because this is the 1940s, mm-hmm. presumably. Actually, this is probably more like the 1930s. Um, at this point, because they're not at war. Um, no, not yet. So. Well, it's. I mean, America didn't enter the war until 1941. Mm. December 7, 1941, was Pearl Harbor. Yeah. So at some point, somebody calls him Professor Berg. Is that yeah. is that Stella who called him that? Um, well, first it was the coach called him Professor Berg. And then later on when he's on the radio show, mm-hmm. where it's like a game show thing, which I thought that was interesting. I got the, oh, yeah. the information game. That is this part. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. 
he's asked a question about the Canary Islands. I, I assume, because you don't actually hear what the question was, you just hear the answer. I mm -hmm. assume the question is, which bird is the Canary Islands named for? And he says, it's a trick question. The Canary Islands are actually named from the Latin root canis, which refers to dogs, for all the dogs that are on the island. So this part reminded me of that scene in Star Trek The Voyage Home, a.k.a. The One with the Whale, <laughs> where Spock is answering all the questions, right? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about? And mm -hmm. then the one he can't answer is, how do you feel? Mm -hmm. How do you feel? I do not understand the question. Someone asked, I don't remember what personal question they ask him, but he like doesn't like it. Uh, oh, it's whether there's a Mrs. Berg. Oh, yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, she's married to my father. Is, it, well, is there well. one at your life, uh, Mrs. Berg in your life? Is it, and he just doesn't want to answer. Yeah. Which makes Stella feel great. You can <laughs> tell by right. her watching him. Watching well, her watch him. Listen to him. She's just at home on the and listening to the radio. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so we cut to dinner with the two of them. He tells Stella that he's going to Japan. Mm -hmm. uh, the exhibition games. She wants to go and see Japan. And she's like, you know, the other players will be bringing their wives. And she says, well, you're not my wife. Yes. And so a couple reactions. <laughs> yeah. So what a couple reactions to this. So first of all, right before this, he does like a thing with his utensils where he's like lining them up. Mm -hmm. Did you notice this? I did not catch that. I think it was intentional that he has like OCD tendencies. Uh, interesting. And, and then also this whole not my wife thing. It's it's it came off as like Asperger to me. Hmm. Maybe interesting. It's like because yes, she's not his wife. That's technically true, but he didn't seem to stop to think how she would take that. Or he could just be, yeah, he could also just not be thinking about that and because he's very distracted. But either way. Yeah. But already we're getting the impression he's like a weird guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we hadn't before. So we go to Japan and they're playing in the exhibition games. So it actually was an exhibition game. I oh. thought it was, he was like lying because it was a spy tour. Well, he wasn't a spy yet, or... As we yeah, find. but I didn't like look up his life story before I saw the movie. I wanted to fair, let fair. the movie be a movie first. All right. But I guess there aren't that many twists and turns. Yeah. So we have a Japanese band playing Stars and Stripes Forever. Mm -hmm. Here's a prank where he talks to Japanese people and asks them to pretend along with him that he speaks Japanese. And they play along, which I appreciate it. But he was speaking Japanese while they were doing this. Yeah, but he's like, I'm faking it. Help me fake it. So I look good in front of my friends. But he was, it, I mean, it's a joke, but yes, but he was speaking perfect Japanese while they were, he was saying this. Right. Eh. But, he, but he like obviously only memorized that one paragraph in Japanese. Oh, you, oh that's what you think it is? Maybe. Yes. Okay. That's what I think the movie was going for. Because doesn't right. he even say this is the only Japanese I know? Something like that. In this part, I think so. No, he just says this is that, that I I do not speak Japanese. So yeah, okay, maybe that makes sense. I don't know. I mean, like I enjoyed it, but like it stopped me to think about it. it. Didn't make sense if he doesn't speak Japanese. It but felt he, like something out of like a more traditional Paul Rudd movie where he's being the like, goofy <laughs> goofy guy. Yeah, but I like that. So, and then one of the people he meets there is named uh, Isao Kawabata. Mm -hmm. and so goes goes um spends time with him juggles for a crowd they're walking around japan i assume tokyo and mm -hmm. he, kawabata asks him to tell him about baseball and apparently we find out kawabata is a professor of history and he's oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah this visit goes beyond baseball and if we don't you know if we can't come to an understanding 
Yeah, there will be no more games, is what she says. Mm, I like that. Mm-hmm. Talking to Moberg on his level. And so we find out a little bit about Moberg's backstory. Apparently his first team was a church team, but so as a Jew, he didn't feel like he fit in. And he really mm-hmm. doesn't feel like he fits in anywhere. Yes, that's like his thing. He mm-hmm. says he likes to hide because he doesn't yeah. fit anywhere. And apparently uh, Isao has a wife and six children. She's very fertile. And nice. then here's where Mo asks if there's going to be a war between their countries. And he, Kawabata says, yes, it's inevitable. Which you really don't need to be a professor to figure that out, I don't think, no. <laughs> in the 1930s, but I appreciate it. And then is this also the part where Isao like, makes a move on Berg? Yes. I wasn't sure at first what that meant, but then go, combined with you know, the earlier accusations, like, oh, so maybe he was. Hmm. Or, I think the movie is designed to make it ambiguous. Yeah. There's sort of a intercut scene where he like wakes up in a, in a bed, but he's looking around, so it's meant to imply that there was someone else with him, so you, you're right. supposed to think that it was uh, Kawabata. Mm-hmm. And then Mo gets dressed up in a kimono uh, right. at the hospital. The nice thing about a kimono, since they're so... Have you ever worn a kimono? Uh, no, I don't do cultural appropriation. Uh, I mean, I, I think there's a difference in terms of that. But there, uh, <laughs> I have worn one as part of my, you know, b- b- being in, in Hawaii, my school had a kimono club where you learned all about mm-hmm. uh, kimono and taught by someone who's experienced in it. So I wasn't part of that, but they needed... I think they were all women in that, and they needed... To practice putting a kimono on a man so i volunteered for to get to wear one i have a picture somewhere but they are very roomy and very comfortable yeah they look comfortable and you know i didn't think about being a kid i think i may have worn one as a kid okay we may have done like a japan unit in like grade school or something um, but i'm we- surprised that he put one on because it's like what would be better of a disguise <laughs> it's like a white guy dressed like a white guy or a white guy in a kimono mm, yes but you wouldn't be able to hide a camera as easily as he did, which is, I think, the reason why why I brought it up, asked if you'd ever worn one. It's because it, uh, it's so you you have the room to very easily hide something there. Nice. Yeah. That makes sense because that's a big 1930s camera. Mm-hmm. And not just not just a still camera; it was a like a movie camera. Yes. So he goes so- up to the roof of that hospital and takes picture uh, like film footage of what I assume is Tokyo Bay with what and their military installations there. Right. And I'm like, why a hospital? There must be other tall buildings. Well, maybe not, actually. Maybe not. I mean, it's the only one he could find. Yeah. So when we cut to December 7, 1941, or at least maybe the day after. Okay. So we see Stella and Mo listening to FDR's very famous speech about a day that will live in infamy. Mm Mm-hmm about the Pearl Harbor bombings, and America has officially entered the war. Yes. And next we cut to a very f- fancy party. It looks like a meeting of, I'm going to just call it like the Princeton Alumni Social Club. Yes. Everyone's in tuxedos. Mm-hmm. There's a choir singing, singing in what I assume is Latin, because I couldn't quite place the language. Sounds about right. Sounds pretentious enough. <laughs> it's Because it's not a t- spy movie without tuxedos, am I right? Nope, it is not. So he approaches this, uh, so Mo's there. He's approaching a friend of his named Jerry. Jerry works in Washington, says State Department, something like that, which is your, it's just yeah. day, the answer that people will give if, you know, they work in intelligence and they can't say where they work. And if they have to travel a lot, mm-hmm. State Department travels a lot too. 
<laughs> we could use people with language skills. I mean, this is where we get a great example of all the different languages that Moberg speaks. Uh, did you write these? I, did, I was going to write them down, but I, they just went too fast. Yeah, I didn't write them down either, but it's like Italian, German, French, mm -hmm. and then a little bit of Asian languages mm -hmm. and Latin. Pretty cool. Yeah. And so he gives him the name of Bill, Bill Donovan and says to give him a call. Yes. They meet him in OSS headquarters and Berg shows the film that he took in Japan. Mm -hmm. We meet Donovan, who's played by Bill Pullman. I don't think that's Bill Pullman. Oh, wait, it's the other guy. <laughs> it's the guy who was Lone Star and Spaceballs. That is Bill Pullman. It's the guy who was in the Looming Tower. I haven't seen that. It's Jeff Daniels. Yeah, I mix those two up. They do look kind of similar. <laughs> no? 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 Okay. All right, we can leave that in. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave it in. So you're like talking about his job mm -hmm. or like getting him on board and Donovan asks him if he's gay again. Oh. It mm -hmm. keep coming up. Mo's response is, I'm good at keeping secrets. But here's the thing. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing, though. Mm -hmm. I actually understand why Donovan wanted to know mm -hmm. that. Because it's leaves him susceptible to blackmail. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at uh, was Kim, not Kim, two at least two of the members of the Cambridge Five mm -hmm. were blackmailed because of that. Yeah, were they blackmailed by the Soviets. I believe so. So, yeah. So there you go. So Donovan is even like, I don't really care as long as you do your job. But I'm also kind of like, well, you should care because that's a security issue. Um, but yeah, so Donovan wants to recruit him, and so as as he's you know, you know finishing up the interview, he says, you know, they say that patriotism is the last refuge of a scoundrel, and Bo corrects him, said they is Samuel Johnson, and it's not first or last; it's the first. Nice, that was really cool, <laughs> and it shows that he knows more than just languages. Mm -hmm. Not like yeah, that wouldn't be enough. Well read, yeah. But and despite all of his skill, they put him at a desk. Or because of all this, like, okay, he's a language guy, mm -hmm. and clearly smart, and you know, so you need someone to process all these reports, come up, read the intelligence, and actually analyze it. They're important. I noticed on the off door to his office, it says the Balkans desk. Mm -hmm. So he's but running those. Yeah, but he really doesn't like it. Mm -mm. Like every analyst yes. in a movie, <laughs> I want to be out in the field. There's nobody who's ever just happy being at a desk. Except for Jack Ryan. I'm yeah, just Jack Ryan. <laughs> Jack Ryan would rather be there. <laughs> it's like all the admirals in Star Trek who are actually very happy not being out hopping galaxies. <laughs> yeah, but I all mean, the admirals in Star Trek seem to be corrupt. How many times can I bring up Star Trek in one podcast? Oh, I'll bring out. it up later, too. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this crazy part where Berg is like, I can't take anymore, and he starts sprinting down the hallway. And he's going pretty fast. I was I, impressed. Well, he is an athlete, but yeah. maybe I've seen too many action movies, but I expected him to, like, dive out the window at the end of the hallway. <laughs> I w so I was confused. I thought he saw Donovan and was trying to catch up to him because he wanted to be on the field. Uh, that was not no. the impression I got. Uh, I got the impression he was running away rather than uh, running towards. Yeah, yeah. Okay. As it happens, Donovan sees him and brings him into a meeting and says, they have something for you. Yes. So this is where we get a briefing. We have two other men in this um, in this briefing. We have Robert Furman, who's played by Guy Pierce. That's a waste. He's barely in it. Apparently, he was the chief of foreign intelligence for the Manhattan Dis Engineer District, 
So mm-hmm. he yeah, in char- basically in charge of security for the Manhattan Project. And the other person in this was Samuel Goldschmidt, played by Paul Giamatti, mm-hmm. who is a nuclear physicist. Yeah, unlike Jeff Daniels, Paul Giamatti is immediately recognizable. <laughs> yeah. The, the only problem with this mission briefing is they tell us a lot of the same things that the opening text crawl told us. Yeah, but I mean, they have to, at some point, br- like actually brief Berg into it. And I guess at this point, we're far enough into the movie that we could use a reminder. Yeah. They tell him about the Manhattan Project, which I assume most, as a civilian or even as members of OSS, they wouldn't necessarily know about it because it was really secret. I just don't think civilians would know about it. Yeah. This is my uninformed opinion, though. <laughs> so they explain that they're looking for an Italian scientist named Amaldi. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason they're looking for him is because he's associ- he is an associate of Heisenberg, and also that they believe that uh, Heisenberg is working on a bomb. Right. So they're going to get to Heisenberg through him, or at least find out what the yeah. situation is. And Amaldi apparently is in Rome, so the, the three of them are going to go in together. And we get a nice training montage. I love, I love a good training montage. How about you? I knew you would. It reminded <laughs> me of um, Age of Heroes. Yeah, I can see that, but I, I like this one better. Our hero is not a sad sack who's like barely getting by <laughs> in this one. True, true. But yeah, so he gets field training, guns, fighting, tradecraft. I like the part where he like runs out ahead of everybody else because Very something to keep in mind. Well, yeah, but also something to keep in mind, and the movie wouldn't really make this clear. Is that he's probably much older than everybody else. Oh, yeah, that's true. Like, he was getting old for the La Liga already at this point. I so. think he was like 40 when he joined the OSS. Hmm. Wow. He was born in 1902. Oh. So, yeah, calculate so he, yeah. from there. Mm-hmm. I mean, pretty easily if this is about 42. Right. But then before he goes out, there's another scene with Stella. Estella. Estella. Well, he calls her Stella, so it's not wrong. Sure. All right, all right, all right. She's like, Do you love me? And he can't answer. Well, I, I he also tells her that he's going overseas, which she didn't know. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm leaving tomorrow. Oh, so you're just telling me this now? <laughs> right. So more questionable relationship behavior. She does come to see him off when he gets into the car to go to wherever, well, to the boat with uh, Furman. On the boat to Italy, we get a conversation between Gutschmidt and Berg, where Berg asks about Heisenberg. And apparently... They were at a conference together at the University of Michigan right before the war. Go blue. Actually, I should probably stop seeing that before they sue us. <laughs> uh, but yeah, both of us are big Michigan fans. Unfortunately, we're probably in the middle of the canceled season right now of college football. Oh, yeah, that's right. Anyways, so <laughs> basically, Gutschmidt begged Heisenberg not to go back to Germany after that, but Heisenberg went. Berg asks Gutschmidt, would and could Heisenberg be working on the bomb? Yes. And he said, could he? Yes, he could. He you know, wants to be the best at everything, but would he? I don't know. Well, that's something that the U.S. scientists struggled with as well, my understanding. Haven't done any in-depth research about this. But I feel like I heard somewhere that they were like, building an atomic bomb will be a real big scientific achievement. So let's do it, because just to see if we can. And then once they did it, they were like, oh, wait, that's kind of the Oppenheimer quote about the yeah. story of worlds. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm also kind of like, dude, you, you're really smart. You didn't like think this through a little bit about what would happen once it was made. Yeah. We also get, I think, the biggest laugh for me in this movie. Oh, yeah? Comes right before a really depressing story, but it's Gutschmidt asking... Uh, Mo is like, are you a Jew? And he's like, Jewish. 
See, I didn't find that funny because I've heard that joke at like a hundred thousand times. Really? I've never heard that joke. Oh, really? Well, I'm glad you liked it then. <laughs> uh, I, I laughed a lot because I've, li I've literally never heard that joke. But it makes... Also, is that where the ish like, no. uh, suffix comes from? No, okay. no it's I not. It's, the word Jewish is just an adjective. Yeah, I know, I know that. But I'm saying, did the, were you making anything ish? Something ish? I'm, you know... No, I, I got it. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's very old. Okay. Almost as old as Judaism itself, I bet. <laughs> Anyways, the pressing story was that apparently that Gutschmidt's parents were taken to Auschwitz, and mm -hmm. he he contacted Heisenberg you know, to ask him to do whatever he could, and he never heard from him again. Presumably, Heisenberg didn't do anything. Didn't or couldn't. So they get there, and this part reminded the me Kirby of Fleming. Italy. Yes, they get to Italy, and this part reminded me of Fleming a lot. Uh, when they're on their jeep, and they're like, after you <laughs> cross this picket line, you're on your own, and there's going to be bad guys out there. Good luck. Yeah. They're trying to get to Piazza Leone, which is where they're going to find Amaldi. Mm -hmm. And they're going through all these, you know, bombed out buildings. Germans are still everywhere. Going through all the buildings. One of the soldiers who's right behind Gutschmidt gets shot. They get pinned down. There's grenades. There's a tank. This whole part, I hate it because oh. it's like such a stereotypical war movie scene. Yeah, and it goes on for really long. It has all <laughs> the cliches. It has total silence until a guy gets shot. Mm. Then it's really loud. You go, I'll cover you. Grenade. And then they all run from the grenade. Someone yelling, go, go, go. <laughs> Everyone yeah, gets like saved by a tank. Some of these tropes, they're in every movie because it's true. <laughs> no, I, I'm aware of that, but it's still a little bit much. I mean, my main objection to it is that it went on for way too long. All it's right, like, let's right, get sure. back to the story. I didn't expect the tank. <laughs> <laughs> High production values for an independent film channel. Right, movie. right, yeah. And so we finally get you know, get to the area where Amaldi can be found. They're going up the stairs to his his apartment. And as they're going up, well, Moe runs ahead and Gutschmidt is behind him. And he gets grazed by a Nazi who's like right behind him and shoots at him and just grazes his head mm -hmm. after Furman kills him. Him being the Nazi, not Gutschmidt. Right. They get to find him all the just in time and Berg gets to use his Italian speak mm -hmm. to get the wife, presumably his wife, to let him yeah. in. Yeah. Mrs. Amaldi. So they all get together and chat. I guess mm -hmm. the imminent danger is over. Hmm. And Amaldi says that Heisenberg's ambition is, he's ambitious, so he wants to build the bomb. That doesn't right. necessarily mean that he's going to. So it's again of the, the case of, yes, he could, but we don't know if he would. Mm -hmm. Intelligence seems to indicate that Germany is building a reactor, not a bomb. Yeah, well, the intelligence being uh, Amaldi's letters from Heisenberg. You know, the specific questions that he was asking about were more mm -hmm. geared towards building a reactor, not necessarily a bomb. And then... Uh, is this the part where the British also agree? Yeah. So we have, well, first of all, we have Donovan arriving in Rome and Gutschmidt gives his report and the British believe Gutschmidt. They think that there's no bomb. Yes. And if the so. British think it's, that should be good enough. <laughs> the British are really good at this, but no. Yeah. But no. So Donovan's own people believe there's a 20% chance, which Gutschmidt's like maybe 10, more like 10 to 15. Mm -hmm. But when dealing with an atomic bomb, they're like, if, you know, it's actually this reminded me of uh, 
of Bat, uh, Bruce Wayne's speech in Batman v Superman. If there's only, if there's even a one percent chance that he's our enemy, yeah, people hate that logic. Yeah, oh, they do, and I'm like, but in this case, uh, I don't believe that they should kill Heisenberg, but they should at least investigate more. Yeah, there's really no reason not to investigate more. Yeah, it's not like it's it's not like they're gonna kill Superman. It's <laughs> even a one percent chance that FDR might be a traitor and be a Nazi. We gotta kill him. <laughs> Anyways, funny quote from my wife. Mm-hmm. When they're like, we need to kill Heisenberg. She said, are you certain about it? Uh, I get it. This <laughs> little science humor. Uh, yeah, it's funny that that's what he's known for now. Not being and a, not, yeah. like a Nazi <laughs> collaborator. Well, I think it helps, and we find out this later, that after the war, he went back to science and became a you know very anti-nuclear uh, nuclear weapons. Right. Actually, have you heard the Heisenberg joke? Or Heisenberg gets pulled over by a police officer. No. And the officer asks, excuse me, sir, do you know how fast you were going? And Heisenberg says, no, but I know where I am. <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. I like that. So Berg wonders if Heisenberg has been stalling the Germans. Because yes. they're all smart men that he has working for them. And they should have been should be able to come up with it. But if they haven't done it now... Maybe he's trying to delay them so that they can't build the bomb. But Donovan says, we have no proof of this, so this is just speculation at this point. Yeah, but it adds a new twist to the story where it's like maybe killing him will help the Germans build a bomb. And it also just really hammers home uh, that Berg doesn't believe that killing him is the right option. It's trying to look that way, like that he's against it, yes. And then we get a scene of Berg in a library, which... Once I saw this library, I was like, oh, yeah, this is definitely Prague, because I've seen this library. Oh, okay. I've not visited it, but I've just I've seen pictures of it. They filmed part of Casino Royale in there. I was like, oh, I know that library. So this is where we get the full explanation of Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, otherwise known as Equation 56, which states that you cannot observe the position and the velocity of a particle at the same time, which I actually didn't know what the uncertainty principle was before this. Like, yeah, I've heard about it, but... Yeah. Probably should have mentioned that before, before we made our joke. jokes about it. <laughs> oh, well. They'll get it. Once they hear this part, they'll be like, oh, or if they've seen the movie and not just listened to us, they'll, they'll get it. I hope you guys didn't Google it while you were waiting for us to tell you that. <laughs> Donovan finds him in the library. He asks him if he likes libraries. And he says, yeah, it's, I felt, it's the only place he really felt like he belonged. Mm-hmm. And then he asks Berg if he'll be able to kill Heisenberg. And he says, yes. Like uh, like emotionally able to kill him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think is what he's getting at. Mm-hmm. And then we get, I like this part. Mm-hmm. Berg plays a game of baseball with a bunch of soldiers. He's really good at it. <laughs> yep. And this part, you can, again, clearly see that he's a lot older than the soldiers that he's playing with. Eventually, they recognize him. Everyone, like surrounds him he gets a little bit of fame he signs a baseball the part i liked was when he's up to bat and this is already when they know he's a pro and so they're all like all right and and, you know they're backing up just because they think he's gonna really hit it out of there and he states what his batting record was which apparently was terrible Mm -hmm. and it hits like a home run yeah it reminded me of like a recess when you're like this kid's really good everybody back up And then he hit it over the fence, which was, instead of a fence, it was a bombed building. <laughs> yeah. But throughout this interspersed is a montage of him training to shoot. Mm-hmm. 
uh, it starts off with him getting pretty wild shots and then right down to him going for the you know center ring every time. Yeah, he wasn't that good at shooting to begin with. Mm-mm. Again, like Age of Heroes. <laughs> okay, so they explain that they're going to have a trap where they're going to invite Heisenberg to give a lecture in Switzerland. In Zurich. Kill him. Yeah. yeah, well, do what they're going to do. Maybe kill him or not. Yeah, and it's going to be a friend of Heisenberg and of uh, Guchmitz, Paul Schur, is the one who's, he'll be the bait. He'll send the invitation. Yeah. And Guchmitz is conflicted feeling about this because he's like, yeah, I'm helping to kill someone. I'm helping to kill my friend, Heisenberg. Your friend who left your parents to die. My friend, as Han Solo would say. <laughs> but he's also a fellow member of the scientific community. And True. I yeah. they care about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Furman drives him to the border, and he, there's some guys who are going to bring him into Switzerland, into Switzerland. But Furman says, "You know, don't trust them." Yeah. And so he meets them, and the guides, you know, they want to rest, but Berg like threatens them to keep going. He threatens to kill them. Well, he not he doesn't threaten that he's going to kill them. He threatens to tell his friends who they just left, who he says are worse than the Gestapo. That's quite the threat. But they should have known better than be talking to smack about the client. Yeah. Also, Even if they it think is in the language. Speak. I like that because I, I kind of like the, those scenarios where there's, there, you know, two people are talking smack about someone in a different language and they say, I understand. Basically, says, starts talking to them in that language and uh, letting them know that you know, he understood exactly what they were saying. <laughs> I ain't no typical American. Thank you very much. <laughs> so yeah. he finally meets his contact who is not played by someone famous and they have this yeah. code phrase exchange about losing sheep. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. It's a little it's more grounded. Yeah, but it it works better than most of the ones we usually hear in other spy movies, right? Don't you think so? If you're just shouting out, I lost my sheep. I mean, Moberg's he's got to act a little bit. He has to act like somebody who lost his sheep, but I guess he can't be good at everything. Mm-hmm. Got to put a little inflection into it. But even the contact describes it as nonsense. Yeah. Also, this scene, could you see anything going on before this? Because it was, like, really dark. I couldn't see a thing. I mean, I just saw them standing there and talking. No, but, like, before when they're trying to be going through, meet, right before they're meeting him, and they're going through the woods. Like, I can yeah. barely see anything. It, it, it was like, am I watching that episode of Game of Thrones again? You might need to check their settings on your TV. Because, like, I can <laughs> see stuff. There just wasn't much to see, as uh, far as I can uh, 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 yeah. Okay. The next part is ridiculous. It's like one of the most ridiculous parts of the movie. Oh. Heisenberg goes into the bathroom and Mo Berg is in there. And he's like fiddling with a gun. Well, yeah. So first what? of all, <laughs> so we're at the university or school where the lecture is taking place. And Mo Berg, yeah. So he goes into the bathroom and he's like, he's checking his gun. He's cocking it because I don't actually don't know. I was going to look this up on, on the Internet Movie Firearms Database to see what kind of gun that was to see if there's a safety on it or not. Just see. Because okay, see, every time he's about to use it, he cocked it. So seemingly he doesn't keep it cocked. So there may not be a safety. I don't know. Whatever he's doing with it, it's very loud. Mm-hmm. Very loud. Doesn't seem to be trying to be quiet at all. He's a baseball player, not a spy. Well, I mean, he was No, he is a spy. We yeah, saw the montage. He he's a spy now. <laughs> yeah, he should have definitely known better. But so... Mm-hmm. Heisenberg goes into the bathroom and he hears the, the very distinctive cock of a gun. Yeah. And then, like, leaves and then watches to see who came out of it. So he knows that Berg has a gun. Yeah, he's on to him. Good thing it worked out because that was a pretty bad mistake. Yeah. Also, before this, uh, Berg meets with Schur 
and says that, you know, Gushmit sends his regard and gives him a gift of heavy water, which when I think about heavy water, I think about Jay Garrick's Flash origin. Totally. Absolutely. So, but the deal with heavy water is, isn't the oxygen have an extra atom? So it's H2O2? I don't actually know. I think I I used I looked that up once because I was curious how it could turn someone into the Flash. <laughs> it and can't. It didn't help. No. <laughs> Either an extra neutron or an extra proton. There's an extra something in there. Mm. And I don't think you should drink it. Well, yeah, I don't no, think it's good no. for you. Mm-mm. Nor should you breathe in its fumes because it definitely will not give you super speed. Mm-hmm. But it's used as a as a moder- moder- moderator, as a moderator. Oh, for okay. Reactor. Okay. Hopefully people come in this podcast to hear about our somewhat accurate opinions about spies and not about our completely false thoughts about nuclear fission. <laughs> anyway, so Heisenberg gives his lecture and throughout the lecture, he spots Berg in there and like is watching him very closely. And mm-hmm. also he's listening very carefully for so any hint whether the Germans have a chance at a fission bomb. Yes. And Berg is looking at Heisenberg, but he's also sees there's like a couple other Germans in military uniforms there. Mm-hmm. Which I guess they're allowed to be because it's neutral. Yeah. And then we get a, I guess it's a flashback. What do you call it? A flashback where he's talking to Donovan. An interspersed flashback. Yeah. Yeah. And he's told, watch for details. If you think that he's, is in fact building a bomb and getting close, you can shoot him right there. Yeah. Which Uh, is like, wow. mm -hmm. And then gives him a cyanide capsule for himself. Yeah. That was a big pill. Yeah. I'm sure that it was. I mean, presumably it's cyanide. They don't actually say that. But... Yeah, I mean, we just, we, we assume it's cyanide or something similar. Yeah, they don't need to hold our hands for once. Okay, so the lecture happens. Mo doesn't shoot him. No. And <laughs> they invite him lecture, to dinner. Yeah, after the lecture, yeah, Cher has a dinner invitation. And Point Blank asks Berg if he intends to shoot him or to kill him. And he says no. Or as... I th- he phrases it in a way like hmm, that he can sort of, you know, it's ambiguous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Once again, you avoid the question. Yeah. And then Berg goes to Temple. Mm-hmm. And after he goes, he calls Estella and he says he just wanted to hear her voice. Says, I think he finally says that he loves her. Yeah. Very yeah. emotional acting from Paul Rudd. And then we finally caught up to the beginning. Yes. Mark Strong and his wig are back. <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. And so he's he's there in, in a bar or not a bar. I, I guess this is like mingling before dinner. It's like cocktail hour or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a chessboard set up, and apparently this is the thing that Sure does. He sets up a difficult board. Oh, I hated this. Oh, I love this. I hated it. I liked it better when it was Magneto and Professor Xavier. He well, Heisenberg recognizes that that Mister. Well, yeah, I think he calls himself Mister Aziz at this point. Mm-hmm. So was at the lecture, and he tells him, you know, look closely at the board, and then clears the board, and then says, pawn to no- Queen's Knight 4. So it's like, oh, memorize the board in that one second. This is what I'm doing. Uh-huh. Cut to a big dinner, like, with a really long table. You know, one of the women there is criticizing Heisenberg for staying in Germany and aiding the Nazis. Yeah, she's, like, going after him. Okay. Like, I hard. Mean, Understandably, he is collaborating with the Nazis. No, I mean, I get that. But you know how these hoity-toity Swiss people are? They're all like, oh, we have Swiss to be polite. Either. We have to be so polite. Apologies to any Swiss listeners. So, yeah, sorry, guys. But whatever, you deserve it. Look up Nazi <laughs> gold in Switzerland at some point. <laughs> but like, 
not just Swiss. You know, these like upper class. You know, if you're at a fancy dinner, you don't go after people. It's just surprising to see, especially back in the day. I mean, I all obviously right. didn't mind it. I was just kind of surprised. Okay, all right. But yeah, but he's like, please, no politics. I'm like, hmm. As this is going on, they're trying to move the conversation away from politics. Berg says, Bishop to King 2, and then they start having a mental chess game, which I told you I was going to bring back Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I read a comic like a long time ago where it's like, Older Spock and Data are having a mental chess game. Then it sounds like this. See, the reason why I don't like this is because for, it's something that we just see in movies way too often is like a chess game as like a metaphor for like the real life chess game between our two mm. characters. It's just so obvious. And then, yeah, but lo- well, but this kind of, it's not just a me- chess game. It's a mental chess game to show in that one second they were able to analyze the whole thing, memorize it, and still play and still be able to see where all the pieces are moving. No, I got that. I got that that's what they're going for. But I just don't like how in movies they're like, how do we show our characters are really smart? Oh, we'll have them play chess because that's what smart people do. Yeah, but they play again, it in their heads. Yes. So they must be really smart. But the thing is, we already know that they're both smart. So you don't have to keep pounding it in. I liked it. I thought it was well done. I'm glad that you liked it. I'm glad that it worked for you. Eisenberg says, uh, your name is Aziz, but somehow that name doesn't seem to fit. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you want to just accuse him of being a spy right then and there. (laughs) Yeah, and then after dinner, Heisenberg has confrontation with women again about, you know, helping the Nazis. And he leaves and says, I've I've endured enough of this. And Berg goes after him. Mm -hmm. And And as he's going, he cocks his gun again. (laughs) <laughs> so there's definitely not kind of either it's them just sort of needing some sort of touch point of oh you're supposed to remember that he's sent there to kill him or the gun really just doesn't have a safety on it yeah i feel like either either one could work it's yeah. been long enough since the lecture that he wouldn't have the gun like ready to go true true time. so it works but he catches up to heisenberg asks if he can join him and he's like do i have a choice not really yeah so the, the part where they're walking Mm-hmm. reminds me of Munich, but I'm sort of like, is every scene in the spy movie where one guy follows another down a street, is that going to remind me of Munich for the rest of time? Probably. But there you go. Especially it's, if it's filmed in, you know, generic European city, a.k.a. probably Prague. Mm-hmm. So they play some more chess. Mm-hmm. I don't remember who wins. It is Berg. Berg basically gets eliminates all the pieces, and he says, in however many moves, you've eliminated everyone but my king. But the king can attack. Technically. It can, but it's not effective. Mm-hmm. So there's a tense moment where there's a gunshot, but then someone else is killed by Berg's friend. Yeah. And so well, four people. I like that Berg does this, re- like, almost like a James Bond gun barrel, like, spin and, like, has his gun out. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And it was the Nazis, because there was a, presumably a Nazi, you know, minder who was following them. Who was about oh, to kill Berg? I didn't pick up on that. Oh yeah, and then it looked like one of the same guys from the lecture. Okay, I thought this guy just died out of nowhere. No, oh. <laughs> but it makes a little bit more sense that he would be about to kill Berg in that case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nazi gets shot. Heisenberg is like, "Who asks him? Like, who are you?" And Berg says, "He's a student, a student of you." And he's like, "Oh, so it's like saying, you know, you've been watching me, you've been studying me. Am I a traitor? You're free to choose." And so he has the gun out mm-hmm. and on him, and he, in that moment, he, and it's a very quick moment, you know, whether or not to kill him, he puts it away where the gun says, Good night, Professor Heisenberg. Mm-hmm. 
And with that, the movie ends, and we get like the biggest <laughs> block of closing text I've ever seen. And we've seen a lot of big closing text. <laughs> yeah. Find out that in the end, there was no German bomb. Historians are still debating whether Heisenberg was attempting to build one. Berg mm-hmm. was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, but he turned it down and never said why. And at the end of the war, Heisenberg returned to science and became anti-nuclear proliferation, and he revealed the entire stockpile of heavy water to the Allies. Mo mm-hmm. and Estella never reunited. Estella married a naval officer in 1945. Mo stayed a bachelor. And, yeah. And that's the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's the movie. <laughs> well, there's also pictures of yeah. the various Real life. Yeah. So there's pictures of Heisenberg and then of Mo and Stella, which was surprising, because I thought Stella had just been made up for the movie. Mm-mm. Apparently she was a real person. Apparently, yes. Ready for some spy fact versus fiction? Yeah, let's get it. Okay, so my sources are Wikipedia, the Jewish Virtual Library, and Spying on the Bomb by Jeffrey Richelson. So the JVL and Wiki had a lot of info about his baseball career, which we will skip because neither of us care that much about baseball. I mean, it's not that I don't care. I enjoy baseball, but yeah, not really relevant to our podcast here. And Stella is never mentioned mm, on either okay. So his trip to Japan was actually his second trip oh. in 1934. And he learned Japanese according to Apocrypha on the way over on the boat. <laughs> okay. And he lectured in Japanese at Meiji University Oh, huh. while he was there. According to the Jewish Virtual Library, but not other sources, he was recruited before he went to Japan and that's why he took photos of the city from the rooftop. Interesting. But so that's accurate, that he did take he did, photos. He did take photos from the rooftop of a hospital, yes. The question is why. It's unclear as to why. Interesting. But he was pretending to be an American, or he pretended to be visiting an American who was sick. Uh, he didn't just show up. Mm-hmm. So well, we see ha- that in the movie, too, because he, like, had flowers. Well, I got the impression from the movie that he just used the flowers to get in the door and then yeah. immediately went up. He was on information, please, three times. And the third time was when they asked personal questions. Hmm. He didn't answer and was never on the show again. Hmm. Interesting. It says, as an intel officer, he was not easy to control. His whereabouts would often be a mystery. (laughs) Alan Dulles wrote to Donovan that Berg, quote, is as easy to handle as an opera singer. His work is at times brilliant, but also temperamental. (laughs) Uh-huh. On his way to London for his insertion, his pistol slipped out of his pocket and fell into the lap of an army major sitting next to him oh, on geez. the plane. To which Berg said, I'm inept at carrying a gun. <laughs> when they met, they didn't meet Amaldi in real life, but they just walked up to his house. Uh, no indication that there was like this crazy elaborate battle scene. <laughs> a little bit more about his spy career. Mm-hmm. The movie glossed over this. In August 42 to February 43, he monitored the health and fitness of American troops in Caribbean and South America. In 1943, he joined the OSS. Mm-hmm. And he worked Yugoslavia. He parachuted into Yugoslavia and then brought back intel saying that the U.S. should back Tito, the guy who later went on to become a Serbian dictator. Oof. In 43, he joined Project Larson, just like in the movie. Mm-hmm. But he also went throughout Europe before going after Heisenberg, and he found out about a factory in Norway, an atomic research center in Germany that both were bombed by the Allies. Oh, wow. So according to spying on the bomb, Germany never intended to build a bomb, really. Mm. By the end of the war, they didn't even have a functioning reactor, weren't in a position to even start building a bomb. 
Richelson thinks the German leadership didn't want to spare the resources to build one. In the article, Nuclear Scientists as Assassination Targets by William Tobey, mm-hmm. it's unclear whether the lecture was actually just happening and they just learned about it and then went, or whether they engineered the lecture. Mm. So the JVL says that Berg lured Heisenberg there. But either way, Berg alone was decided whether or not to kill Heisenberg. And uh, this is according to Richelson now. He was in the lecture and like had to pick up with his very, very limited knowledge of physics how Heisenberg was like feeling about his progress. Oh, wow. <laughs> he like sort of had to go by like the way the room felt, but he was given authorization to kill him right then and there. Oh, wow. That is surprising. Mm-hmm. Later that week, Berg did go to dinner. Mm-hmm. Where Heisenberg was there, and Heisenberg was talking about how Germany was about to lose the war. Hmm. And that's what convinced Berg not to kill him. Gotcha. Well, because there was, like, I kind of glossed over that he mentioned that, am I a traitor? Is is Germany going to lose the war? That sort of thing. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. After the dinner was over, both men left at the same time, and they Mm -hmm. chatted on the street. But nobody knows what they talked about. Mm -hmm. Obviously, nobody got shot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So then, after the war was over, Berg was hired by the CIA to use his contacts to find out about the Soviet bomb program, but he mm-hmm. failed. They paid him uh, 10 grand, he brought back nothing. <laughs> and then for the next 20 years, he had no job and lived off friends and relatives in Newark, never marrying, like the movie said. And his last words, after suffering a fall, were, how did the Mets do today? Mm-hmm. Wow. And that is it for Spy Fact versus Fiction. Interesting. All right, shall we get into our favorite quotes? Sure. Do you want to go first? Yeah, so mine is from that scene where he's talking about the uncertainty principle. And he says, One cannot be certain where something is and where it is going. And thus, Heisenberg proves that no one knows anything. We live in eternal uncertainty. A man after my own heart. What a troubling thought, especially (laughs) in these times. Mm Mm-hmm. So my favorite quote is, and I thought you were going to steal it, but no. fortunately you didn't. <laughs> it's in the where he's playing baseball with the soldiers, mm-hmm. and he goes up to bat, and they all start backing up like a recess, okay. to which he says, don't worry, 243 lifetime. <laughs> it's pretty good. Okay, so I don't know how batting statistics work. Do you? Sure. It's, okay, so. Well, it's every time you're at bat versus every time you get a hit. Uh-huh. So in this case, it's out of every 10 times he was at bat, he got a hit twice. Oh, okay. Is this the movie where they're like, baseball is a game where you can fail half the time and still be considered a superstar? Is that this movie? Maybe. I don't remember. I feel like if anything, that was that would have been in the talk with in, when he's in Japan with the other guy. But I don't yeah. remember. That, of course, is something that motivational speakers like to bring up is that <laughs> even like the best baseball players ever only get a hit a, like half the time, maybe even less. It's just the way the averages work. Okay. All right. So now it is time for our ratings on a scale of one to 10 martinis. One being an absolutely terrible, almost as bad as Hudson Hawk's spy movie. (laughs) And 10 being the greatest, even better than Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol spy movie. How would you rate The Catcher Was a Spy? Uh, Wow. Well, with that sort of lead in, I'm going to give it a six. It was a pretty average movie. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Paul Rudd. Uh, I thought the spying, there wasn't too much of it. I mean, like actual spying. I like the montage of him training to be a spy, but he wasn't, he didn't do too much actual spying. Like if I'd heard more about some of the other stories in his spy career, that'd been great. I would give it more than a six, but 
since it was just this story, yeah, a six. All right. I will give it a four out of ten because I felt like this was like slightly below average. All right. There's, I, although I felt like there was a decent amount of spying, a lot didn't work. I'm already mentioned the really long battle scene. <laughs> so there's like a question of whether or not he's gay that the movie asks, but then never answers. And I understand that in real life, sometimes questions are left unanswered, but then why put it in the movie at all if you're just going to blue ball your audience? And then I felt like the climax, like the whole movie is built around killing Heisenberg or not, mm-hmm. but then the climax didn't like work. Mm. Fair. I didn't feel like it's supposed to escalate to tension and then drop. Mm. But there was never a point of like peak tension, I felt. Mm-hmm. Did you? I mean, there was tension and then it just, yeah, it very quickly just went away. So my reading from reading Spying on the Bomb mm-hmm. is that the lecture scene was like the critical moment. So I would have had it be everything's building up to the lecture and then have that be the moment of peak tension. Berg is like looking around. He's got his hand on the gun. The music's going up because it's like a big high profile, like Malcolm X style assassination in front of a bunch of people. And then it backs off, you know? Hmm. Okay. Or I had this idea that because Moberg is a really interesting person. Mm hmm. He's mysterious. He has all these skills. He's a baseball player. It's, it's like, you know what it's like? It's like Monday Night Jihad. Did I ever tell you about this? No. Okay, I apologize if this is going on a lot longer than it's supposed to. <laughs> but my brother right. gave me this book called Monday Night Jihad, and it's by an NFL kicker. Okay. The main character is like Pat Tillman, where he's an NFL player who becomes a soldier. And then yeah. the plot is totally ridiculous. It makes Tom Clancy look like John LeCare. Anyway, so, but Moberg did that in real life. So I feel like if you want to make a movie about it, it should be like totally over the top Hollywood ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Basically, what I wanted to see was have him throw a baseball and then throw a grenade like a baseball. <laughs> right? The uh, opportunity was right there. It was right there. <laughs> but I guess that's right. not what you're going to get from the IFC. No, no, it isn't. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about? (laughs) No, I I don't think so. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us. You can find us on social media at the Spy Five Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. And we are the Spy Five Guys, signing off. Thank you for listening to the Spy Five Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. The theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.